0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Uh, it's been a little while since I've last put out some content. Um, so, what I'm going to do is talk about a past fight from Irish boxing history um, and sort of just do a little episode talking about the build up to the fight, what actually happened, and uh, my experience around the fight. Um, the reason that I'm sort of choosing certain fights is because I can remember exactly where I was when these fights took place. Um, some I was actually at the fight in the arena, and others I remember where I was watching it on TV, what age it was. Remember everything about it really. So, the first fight that we're going to look at um, is Ricky Hatton versus Eamon McGee uh, from 2002. Now, for anyone who doesn't know or hasn't listened to the podcast before, um, I'm the nephew of Eamon McGee, so uh, Eamon's brother Noel is my dad. So, th- this one is a little bit more personal because uh, I was at the fight supporting my uncle, but also as a boxing fan, um, I remember the build up to that fight. Um, I was also a bit of a fan of Ricky Hatton's, even at that stage, I'd seen him. You know, doing very very well on Sky TV and he was the big sort of prospect in British boxing and then after the fight I went on to be a Ricky Hatton fan as well so this one I thought would be a good one to sort of start off with so starting off with the build up of this fight and how it came about um, Eamon was boxing professional for I think it's nearly seven years at that stage he turned professional in 1995 um, Eamon was I would say around this time was banging his prime I think he was 30 years of age leading up to the Ricky Hatton fight he was Commonwealth champion at this stage, so um, Eamon had made five defences of that Commonwealth title leading up to the Ricky Hatton fight, and most recently he had beaten um, John Thaxton, um, which was earlier in 2002, and in my opinion, even now, when I look back on Eamon's career, the John Thaxton fight is maybe arguably the performance of his career. Um, I was there in the arena, in Manchester, um, uh, for that thaksin fight, and so going into the Ricky Hatton contest, although Eamon would have been underdog, I remember you know being fairly confident that he was going to do the business. Um, as I say, Hatton was the big sort of name in British boxing then, um, and a lot of hype behind him, and you know rightly so I suppose. Uh, but yeah, I remember feeling quite confident. Um, with regards to Hatton, he was I think twenty-eight. No, at this stage, uh, twenty-three knockouts going into the fight with Eamon. It had been talked about for a little while because in Britain they were sort of ranked number one and number two. Um, Hatton had won the British title, I think, in the year two thousand. He had beaten John Saxton, who had just mentioned the Eamon had fought, but they had had like a twelve round. I wouldn't say a war, but Ricky Hatton got a bad cut very early on in that fight against Saxton and showed you know a lot of you know a lot of grit to get through and didn't let the cut affect him. and you know he won quite wide on points, but you know he had came through a bit of adversity there. And then he had won this newly formed sort of WBU world title. Now, at that stage, I suppose, it was a new title pretty much uh, being fought a lot out of, you know, England. Frank Warren was the promoter for Hatton and then at this stage, I suppose, Eamon as well. But the WBU title, you know, probably didn't have a lot of kudos, but Hatton was starting to get a big big crowd behind him and he was getting big fights on Sky and that WBU title was starting to maybe mean a little bit more so he had actually made six defences of that title by the time he was 23 and so this was going to be a seventh defence against Demon but I think a lot of people thought that this was going to be the real acid test to see how good Hatton was Um, the build up to it when I was looking back because I was trying to do a wee bit of research there was talk of that fight happening maybe six months earlier and I seen like an article from the Belfast Telegraph I think it was ...that Eamon had turned down, I think, £70,000 to fight Hatton uh, six months earlier... ...and he was getting a little bit of stick for, you know, why didn't he take that... ...you know, because he was offered it and it was good money back then especially... ...but then Eamon had won another couple of fights um, within those six months... ...and then when he fought Hatton, you know, I'm sure he earned more money than that as well... ...so I suppose it paid off that, uh, in a way, the fight was even bigger... Uh, when he even took it. Um. So in 2002, another thing Um. I remember around this time, because I was looking back, was well, I was 17, first of all, so I was in lower sixth in school. And this was going to be a fight where I remember a couple of my friends sort of, for the first time, sort of saying, Well, yeah, any chance of getting any tickets this? Or I wonder, because it was going to be a big, big event. So we were able to get some tickets for different ones going over, and there was about 20, 25 of us heading over to the fight, including a couple of my mates from school. Um, And the other thing about this fight as well, it was uh, the very start of June, I think maybe June the 1st June the 1st um, uh, 2002, and the World Cup had just started literally I think two or three days earlier, uh, and that was the World Cup that was going to be in Japan and South Korea. So when we were going over for the fight, what I always remember about it was flying from Belfast into Liverpool. Um, when we arrived in Liverpool, I think it was, um, Republic of Ireland were just in the middle of playing their opening game against Cameroon. And so we, we'd all got off the plane. There was about 25 of us, but there must have been, I don't know, I'd say 100, 150 people that were flying over for the fight, especially. And a lot of them were Republic of Ireland fans. So we hung about in the airport and I remember the TV being on and Cameroon going 1 0 up. And then I think Matt Holland scored a lovely goal and the crowd, like everyone going ballistic in the airport. and you know, I was 17 at the time, so, you know, even though you're not legally and you were allowed to have a couple of maybe pints when you're over there, or bottles of beer. I was with my dad, so I wasn't going nuts, obviously, at that stage. But um, I remember having a couple of beers and just watching it, and straight away that was the start of that weekend. And it was just that I just that stands out to me. I'll always remember that experience of just the World Cup and good weather around the start of June. So we were heading over in high spirits anyway. Um, Another thing that I was thinking about uh, about this fight was I remember getting to the hotel in Manchester. And me and a couple of mates just gone down to the bar and one of them one of my mates, saying Mark, is stuck I don't know we probably went over with maybe thirty, forty pound each. You know, we were only seventeen, didn't have a lot of money. So that was to do is, you know, the two days or whatever it was. I remember he blew it all in the fruit machine straight away. We were in the lobby, I'd went up to get changed, came down, and next minute he was, you know, you know tapping the me for money, he would lost everything, and we were like, what are you doing before he got here? So that was another thing, just when I was thinking about that weekend, it sort of stood out. But yeah, so listen, getting to the fight itself, um, another thing I remember just before I get into actually uh, the fight was visiting Eamon in Newry, just outside Newry. Eamon had, was training there uh, with John Breen that sort of moved Eamon away, sort of getting away from the distractions and stuff, which... Suppose if you read Eamon's book I don't know if it was 100% Um, you know if it did its job you know there was maybe other little distractions that he was able to get around but in general Eamon trained very very hard uh, for that fight because I remember going up and seeing him and he was in tremendous shape and you could see the determination in him this was maybe two weeks before the fight Um, you know just to wish him good luck and stuff like that so he had really really trained hard but obviously you know a lot of things that maybe came out since then that you know potentially he was you know you know, drinking alcohol three, four weeks before the fight, and you know, this is stuff that again I'm not I'm not saying this, this is stuff that's in his book. But going into the fight, obviously, I was, as I say earlier, very confident that you know uh Ian was in great shape and was going to do the business. Um so once we got to the fight itself, um it was in the MEN arena, which was you know, obviously it's now the Manchester Arena, huge, I think nearly twenty thousand or it might be twenty thousand. Um it holds, I don't know if it held it that night, but I would say easily seventeen, eighteen thousand. Um I remember getting to the fight and you were kind of a wee bit uneasy because you were walking around um and you could obviously see that the hat and support was huge you know a lot of union jacks and stuff a lot of proud english sort of support and stuff then you had different ones walking around with ireland flags and that sort of things and you know um, i just remember walking and thinking right i hope nothing kicks off here um and thankfully it didn't you know it was grand but the one thing about the fight was the seats that we had got there was maybe a thousand fifteen hundred potentially um Irish fans we were all at the very top of the arena and I remember being so high up and just looking over but the atmosphere straight away even for the undercard we got there for a couple of the fights under um, and it it was really really amazing you could just tell that it was building up to like one of those big big huge events I'd been to other shows in the past um, you know with my dad boxing and you know Kings Hall shows Ulster Hall shows but this was my first time like you know 18,000 or whatever it was I just knew this was this is proper like a big big show um. So yeah, getting to the fight itself, Um. Eamon was obviously coming out first uh, into the uh, ring because he was the challenger for the title and what I'll always remember is how long it took Eamon to get into the ring, I don't know if it was mind games but I think Eamon was waiting for the certain part of a song that he wanted, I think it was Who Let the Dogs Out was his uh, the sort of song Eamon would have came in with and I just remember it seemed like five minutes he was just standing there and I think my dad was walking him in as well, you know, a bit of security or whatever. And uh, yeah, again, just looking over, thinking, what is happening here? Is he is he coming in or what? But eventually he eventually, went into the ring, and you know, we gave him a great, you know, uh, support and cheers. But the Manchester crowd were you know booing, and you could just a wee bit of hostility there. And then, of course, Hatton came out, uh, Blue Moon, and you know the Hatton. I remember sort of seeing his his uh, name and lights and stuff. And again, you could just tell this is a big, you know, big big show with uh, a big uh, home favorite there. And yeah then obviously the ring announcements and all that was great. Um, the actual referee for the fight was Mickey Van, and I remember as well there was a wee bit of, um, I suppose Eamon was maybe complaining a little bit that Mickey Van was refereeing Ricky Hatton for the 7th or 8th fight in a row. So that WBU title I was talking about um, that Hatton had held. They seem to use him for every single defense, and I think Eamon you know, sort of said, "Oh well, you know, there should be someone else," and you know, whether he's an Englishman and whatever. I don't know, um, but I remember there being a little bit of um, complaints about that. And then obviously, when we get to the fight, there's you know a few things even might have complained about afterwards. But you know, you know, very good referee Mickey Van. But I just remember as well when I was looking back, there was certain little questions about the things like that and all. Um. Yeah. So obviously the announcements, um, and then the fight starts, and at this stage. You know, everyone's just sat back down or whatever. Maybe still standing, and you're just thinking, right here we go. What's going to happen in this fight? Um, and I suppose I would have maybe looking back, thinking that Eamon just had to sort of maybe get Hatton a bit later on, try and sort of just see what Hatton had early, and then you know start trying to land the big shots. Eamon was a fantastic counter puncher, um, and at this stage you didn't know how good Hatton was in terms of he just always seemed to come forward. Uh, had a real relentless style um, body punching you know an amazing body puncher as he went on to prove uh, as the levels even went up but you were sort of just thinking if he tries to come to him and you know we'll see just you know can aim and catch him um on the back foot and stuff so you're just getting ready to start watching the fight and then after 34 35 seconds this happens Now, when that happened, I just remember everyone going ballistic. I remember, in my head thinking, "Oh my God, he's going to win!" That's like you know, you're so high up that you can't really see how hard the punch was. You don't know if it's caught him square on the jaw, if it's just a flash knockdown. But as soon as he hit the canvas, I remember thinking, "Oh my God, he's going to knock him out in one round." Now, obviously, looking back at it, I watched it just uh, you know pr- uh, prior to doing the wee podcast here, just to watch over things. It's a really good shot on the ropes. Uh, Hatton's obviously coming in, he just catches him square with a lovely hook, but it's a flash knockdown. um, And Hatton gets up, and you can sort of see that he's maybe not as badly hurt, but it just remembers thinking, this is it, he's going to win in one round, and it's going to be amazing. Now, as the round goes on, you know, Hatton sort of gathers himself um, and starts to, you know, box a wee bit more, but that start from Eamon was so unexpected, I think, probably even for Eamon. Um, You know, Eamon's been quoted since insane that, you know, He's actually said it's probably the worst shot he ever threw because it was so early. Because, you know, Hatton, as we're going to talk about as the fight goes on, Hatton sort of changes the tactics a little bit. But I think the regret for Eamon is that if he'd have caught Hatton with that shot maybe in round six, seven, eight, a wee bit later on, which maybe the tactics were before the fight, that that would have been his time to really go for Hatton, you know, when he was maybe a little bit um, more tired at that stage. Whereas because it happened so early in the first round, you know, it was almost like hadn't had the time then to maybe recover and change tactics. You know, but you'll never know, obviously. But I just, uh, I think it's interesting that Eamon has said a few times on different interviews and stuff that the worst punch he ever threw was that shot in the first round. But being there um, when it actually happened, it just, uh, yeah, you're sort of ready for a big fight and you're just sort of waiting to, until something starts um, and thinking that it might get on a few rounds before there's any real action. But yeah, 30 seconds, it was uh, unbelievable to actually watch. And then in the second round, after that great start from Eamon, um, the second round, I remember uh, when I watched it just recently as well, it seemed to be that there was this one corner of the ring that the fight seemed to be uh, starting to you know, happen, and um, Eamon was maybe just right above, I think, his own corner, and Hatton was obviously, he was maybe the one holding centre of the ring and trying to dictate the pace, and Eamon was happy just to sort of sit back um, in the second round and let Hatton come to him um, and try and land shots on the counter. Now Hatton was still maybe after that knockdown thinking in his head, you know, disaster start right, and he to you know start going forward now, and you know uh, start winning rounds. So in that second round, again at the fight itself, um, I couldn't tell as clear until I watched it afterwards. But Eamon caught Hatton with an unbelievable sort of right hook off the ropes, just sort of caught him perfectly coming in, and Hatton absorbed that punch, and it was a real it was the heaviest punch that Eamon threw and landed in the entire fight. And the thing about that was when he caught Hatton, Hatton sort of fell into him, um, showing that he was quite hurt and even pushed him off to try and sort of then get space. And by doing so, Hatton sort of fell through the rope slightly and that's where Mickey Van stepped in and then stopped even doing any work for maybe, it might have only been two, three, four seconds. But, you know, when you look back and you, you watch it, you think, oh God, if even went through one more we shot there, you never know. And you know this is just the wee things that I'm sure you know. Eamon's looked back and sort of thought to himself, and he sort of complains during the fight as well. Um, and Eamon obviously finished the round strong, and so straight away you're there thinking, right, two rounds, you know, in the bag, a knockdown, everything's going to plan. Um, and Hatton, of course, in the corner, uh, Billy Graham, his coach, is you know, you know, thinking this is exactly the worst start they could have possibly had, and I suppose. Credit to Hatton is that as the fight goes on, you can see Hatton change the tactics. Um, I think he may have thought that you know, cause in the build up, Eamon has maybe talked about the fact that he's a kid and yeah, he thinks he can hit me with body punches and I'm gonna fall over. And there was that sort of talk. It was obviously a building the fight and stuff like that. So Hatton maybe had something to prove in those first couple of rounds, but he could see that Eamon could hurt him. Um, in the third round, when you watch it, you can see that the tactics slightly change a bit, where Hatton starts coming in and out. So sort of landing, maybe some straight body punches, jabs, moving back out, coming in and not being as predictable as maybe he was in the first couple of rounds. Um, Eamon seems happy enough to sit on the ropes and as the fight goes on, maybe that's something that, I suppose, looking back, if Eamon would have came off the ropes more, um, could have won more rounds, then the result could have been different. But uh, from the third round onwards, you can see that the tactics from Hatton is to sort of land those punches move out of range and come back in um so yeah when I watch the fight again you know Hatton wins the third round fourth round maybe uh Eamon could have won or it could have been slightly even and then when I look back at it although I would say the punches that Eamon um was thrown uh were landing uh, you know not, not all the time obviously but he was whenever he let his hands go he was still catching Hatton with good shots but the work rate from Hatton started to increase and Eamon's maybe sitting on the ropes, he just wasn't strong enough, and he wasn't winning those rounds. And you can see it when you sort of watch what the commentators are saying. From rounds sort of five, you know, seven, eight, nine, those rounds, although they're very competitive, Hatton's maybe nicking the majority of those rounds because he's just, he's outworking Eamon, he's, you know, landing body, punches, moving. But the one thing I would say is, I don't think there's any stage that Hatton ever hurt Eamon. Um, he said that himself in his own book. Um, He just, he said Eamon would have been an amazing poker player because, you know, and I'm sure some of the punches, I'm sure they did hurt, but Eamon just wasn't showing it at all um, and wasn't maybe given the confidence to stay in range for that long, you know, to maybe try and stop, you know, Eamon at any stage. So the mid rounds of the fight generally were going at that sort of pattern where he was in and he was out, um, you know, and landing some nice shots. Then as it go- went towards the back end of the fight at this stage, um, you can sort of see rounds 10 when I watched it, Eamon starting to get off those ropes, coming into the centre of the ring a wee bit more, throw more shots. Um, I felt that he won a couple of the last rounds, definitely, especially the 12th round, um, Eamon won it you know, clearly. Um, but Hatton in those middle rounds and maybe built up rounds that, you know, I'm not saying, especially where I was in the arena, it's very hard to see from up there, you know, what was happening. And I remember just thinking to myself, God, I don't know, it's, it looks like Hatton's winning these rounds because he's maybe on top there where Eamon is in the corner, but then when you watch it back, you know, the, wasn't a lot of quality shots being landed, maybe by Hatton. But as I say, I just I think he was maybe nicking those middle rounds. Um, when you look at what Sky had going into the last round, I think they had Hatton two points up. Um, and then as I say, even had a very good strong last round, sort of caught Hatton and wobbled his legs a bit, finished the fight very well. And you know, if you look at the scorecards afterwards, which we'll get to. They were a little bit wider than I felt it should have been. I mean, you know, obviously I could be biased and say, you know, Eamon definitely won that. I'm not going to say that. Uh, I thought it was a very close fight. And when I watched it back, it was a very close fight. I, th- I feel if you look at the score and punches, um, there's not a whole lot between it. But it's just the work rate is maybe always going to get you, especially in front of maybe 16,000 fans against 1,000 of Eamons or whatever it was, you know, the crowd's going to be behind you and that's going to influence judges as well. Um. So when the fight ended, um, you know, Sky had uh Hatton win it by one point. Uh, so I think they had seven rounds to five with uh the knockdown in Eamon's favor as well. That there was, I would say, was maybe fairly accurate. Um, you know, maybe a point or so. It wasn't that wide. I didn't think. Then when you go to the actual fight at the, at the end, when the bell goes, um, Eamon gets lifted aboard um someone's shoulders, and you know the crowd start booing. And then Hatton gets up. And I remember as well, sort of thinking to myself, if Eamon was to win this, like there's going to be chaos in here. Like you know, you just, you start thinking to yourself, you know, because we were booing Eamon really loudly at the end, and you know, just I was thinking to myself, if Eamon did win this, like how are we getting out of here? Ways this is going to be. So I just remember having that thought in my head at the time, and then when the scorecards came out, and it was one, uh, I think one sixteen, one eleven, one fifteen, one twelve, one sixteen, one eleven. As soon as those were getting read out. I knew that Eamon wasn't winning the fight. You know, I knew that if Eamon did win it, it was maybe going to be a split decision or it was going to be very, very tight. So once they were given five rounds, you know, you sort of knew, right, okay, it's not going to be his night. I definitely don't think Hatton won the fight by five points. I think that was very, very wide. Um, but, yeah, Hatton got the decision and, you know, um, that was the end of the fight. And, you know, obviously, in a personal point, I was disappointed for my uncle and even though I thought he put up a good fight and, you know, the one thing about that fight... um. A lot of people sort of I would find would sort of you know they would comment and would say the same things oh Eamon never trained for that fight or he let Hatton do this Eamon trained very very hard for that fight and yes there was things that I'm sure went on maybe that weren't as professional and stuff but I just I think there's maybe that little bit of frustration when you watch the fight that you think to yourself if Eamon let his hands go more if he came off them ropes more when he did through he looked like he was the boss at times and but maybe was there something in the back of his head that sort of makes sure that it can last a distance, you know, this lad's young, and was he maybe preserving some energy in those middle rounds and maybe giving some of those rounds away? You know, I suppose the Shane fight a couple of years earlier, people would say the same thing, but, you know, overall, a very, very good performance against someone that, you know, obviously has went on to be an all-time great British fighter. Um, so at the end of the fight, obviously, Hatton won um and Eamon had lost and that wasn't the end of both their careers of course. Um so at the end of that fight Eamon was still in a good position in terms of um you know world ranking and stuff uh and then he had actually went on to fight for the European title the following year. He was made mandatory for the European light welterweight title and lost again a very close decision out in Germany. Um, where it could have went either way, you know, if it was in Belfast could have been different. But so he had ended up a couple of defeats within the same year. Um And, you know, you're maybe thinking, all right, okay, is that going to be the end of uh, the career there? Or is he not going to win another title? But then in 2003, Eamon went on to actually win a WBU title. But this title was then at welterweight. He had moved up in weight um, and fought Jimmy Vincent in Cardiff. Another fight that I'd went to, it was at university at that stage. Um. So he'd actually won that WBU title, um, but at a different weight, of course. And then, you know, I'm sure people know obviously the end of Eamon's career and, you know, being out for a year with a terrible injury and um, an assault that happened and stuff. So it sort of teeled off and that night against Hatton was probably the peak of his powers in terms of he was getting into it in such a good uh, position. You know, he had, um, I think, only lost twice up until then and even though Paul Burke fight was definitely one that he should have won and an earlier defeat in America, but that was maybe the fight at the very peak. And then, although he did win that WBU title, um, You know, it sort of went then from there where he retired a few years later. Ricky Hatton, of course, after that fight, I think, defended the WBU title another five, six times. Um, He defended that maybe twelve thirteen 13 times altogether. And although people don't look at the WBU as one of those belts, and even now it, it doesn't really get fought for anymore in Britain, but he put it on the map and, it you know, at that stage it was a good title to have because of someone like Ricky Hatton, because he knew how good he was and what he would go on to do. He sort of gave it that wee bit of kudos as well, so... Um And then in 2005, uh, Eamon actually was over at the Costa Zoo fight Um, when Hatton challenged Costa Zoo for the IBF version, which was, you know, Costa Zoo I think was a pound-per-pound um, ranked fighter um and he was a fantastic champion. And Hatton obviously had that amazing night, which was probably the best night of his career, where he beat Costa Zoo and Eamon was actually in the changing room. Hatton has said this before and Eamon, I think, had had a few beers and went in sort of, you know, and just said to him, you know, you can do this. I know you can do it, and you know don't listen to what all the doubters say. And Hatton's went on to say that that actually did mean a lot because he didn't like Eamon, maybe even hated Eamon uh, around the time that he fought him. But that there um, was a little bit that was some respect that them two had and went on to have um, throughout the rest of their careers uh, as well. And of course, Hatton went on to you know win that IBF title, he unified a WBA title as well. They moved up in weight, won another world title, and of course finished his career with a couple of defeats but to probably two of the greatest fighters of the last, you know, I don't know, 20, 30 years, maybe even ever, in Floyd Mayweather and uh, Manny Pacquiao. So an amazing career Ricky Hatton went on to have, but that night against Damon, that was maybe one of the fights that made him, uh, in terms of, it showed that he could change tactics, it showed that he could um, sort of adjust to a bad start, and, you know, even say himself that that was a really important learning fight, maybe not let his emotions um you know uh, get in the way and you know uh, go out trying to knock someone out and forget about you know your your boxing as well so so yeah so I mean yeah that's the first fight obviously everyone that I've just thought of um because as I say it was a fight that I was there for and it's it's one of those memories that I'll always have and you know I suppose it's good to look back on and sort of um remember where you were and what you were doing um leading up to the fight as well um and yeah so what I would like is for maybe people to You know, let me know if there's any fights that you would like me to re-watch. The reason I'm trying to pick certain fights as well is that these are available on YouTube, you know, because, you know, I might be talking about this and you could think, no, I didn't say it that way. Or you might even think, I want to watch that again or whatever. So, you know, go and watch these things. Leave a comment on any of the social media whatever. And if there's a fight that maybe you think here you need to watch this one, you know, I'll obviously have certain ones that I'll put up. But, you know, um, the good thing is, as a teacher, I'm off for the next couple of months of the summer. So plenty of boxing to be watched. And of course, everyone, I want to continue with the podcast going with the guests that I've had, you know, former fighters and former trainers. Um, that's something that I've really enjoyed doing. And I'm hopefully going to get back out again and uh, recording with people. But it's obviously you're always relying on getting the guests and people willing to do it and stuff, which can sometimes be difficult. So I just thought this would be another wee segment that we could maybe do, especially as I've got a wee bit more time over the summer. And um, yeah, so just, you know, thanks very much, everyone, who's listened to the first episode of this. And as I say, just send me any suggestions and I hope you all continue to listen. Thank you we we'll